Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I have a, a special guest, a world legend, as many many people call him, uh, Joe Perry. So welcome, Joe. He's, hey, uh, uh, he's a senior technical instructor slash, I think, uh, I think you've been promoted or you're working on promotion recently um, to kind of a principal uh, consultant over there. But yes. for Mandy and FireEye, if you guys have ever heard about that tiny little company. Okay. <laughs> uh, so welcome, Joe. Um, appreciate you hopping on. And do you mind just kind of filling in the blanks a little bit about some of your background? Like, what did you do? Uh, sure. Were you some like top secret spy or something? Some like kind of Yeah, some kind of fancy resume or something. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't read my extremely ridiculous LinkedIn bio, basically, I have the resume of a guy who dies in the second act of a Bond movie. Um, so my career started in cybersecurity in the United States Navy. Uh, where I was a cryptologic technician. I, I worked on research and development for the Navy's cyber warfare assets. Um, obviously, the specifics of that, they, there are rules about how detailed you can get, but the short version is basically, I did, uh, when, when cybersecurity as a professional discipline was first becoming um, sort of institutionalized in the military as a job role, um, that's sort of where I was, was helping build, uh, was first going through those training pipelines and then helping build sort of the, the later aspects of that career development path, uh, uh, path rather. So that's sort of where my, my earliest career was. While I was in the Navy, I was accepted to an NSA development program called the CNODP, the Computer Network Operations Development Program. Um, the sort of like blurb about that that you would find in magazines is it's the, the NSA's premier vehicle for developing cybersecurity warriors. Um, the government's really big on using terms like cyber warrior and things like that, which, so if you hear me use that, it's not just marketing buzzwords, it's, it's been drilled in my head over, over years of training. Uh, when I left there, I went to a company that those of you watching this probably know pretty well called Cybrary. A really awesome startup that was really that is focused on um, online sort of workforce enablement and and development. Uh, it's, it's very much where my passion was. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the Navy, and it's something that I kind of came around people circle. After about a year at Cybrary, um, I ended up coming over here to Mandiant, where again I am a senior technical. I am the senior technical instructor for our educational team, uh, specifically our external education team. So when I'm talking about my education role, I'm not um, like a customer service or a customer sales engineer who's teaching you how to use products. The classes that I teach are much more along the lines of, you know, enterprise incident response or um, response or performing creative red teaming in Linux environments, things like that. Um, so that's that's where my general career is. Obviously, besides that, I do a lot of consulting for developing educational programs, for building cybersecurity programs, all sorts of the the, the periphery that comes around with being a vaguely well recognized person in the field. Nice. So, are there any for people out there that are kind of looking to to get into career paths like this. Are there any recommendations you have for specific technologies? Should they learn scripting languages, programming languages? Like what, what should the average person out there that's maybe been, I don't want to say duped, but for lack of better words, duped into thinking they need a graduate degree right. to, come over, to come into this industry. And now they're finding that they're applying for jobs and nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of skills do you recommend those people get at, at kind of a I guess kind of at a general level, because sure. obviously it depends on the, the specific role you're going nature, for. Yeah. So what I would say is my, my general answer to that um, is actually both that it is on the side of the people looking for jobs, and it's also on the side of companies who are trying to hire. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of this disconnect happens, is that um, the reason people feel duped by this is that a lot of the people uh, who, are, who are giving you advice, or not necessarily even just giving you advice, a lot of people who are trying to tell you this is the only way to pursue your career, are doing that because that is the way which will benefit them. And it's not necessarily something really cynical. It's not like a conspiracy where they're trying to take advantage of you. It's just that if you ask uh, a recruiter from the military if joining the military is a good idea, they're gonna tell you yes, even though the question's a little more complicated than that. Um, and, and it's sort of true the same for everybody in cybersecurity is that 
there is a there's a fundamental disconnect, I would say. And that's I'm glad you brought up the grad the graduate degree and sort of higher education. That's that's I think where uh, a notable part of this problem exists. So the advice that I would give to companies, and then I'll work my way to the advice for employees. Uh, the advice that I would give to companies is to understand what you actually need in your roles. Uh, one of the things that I, I do when I'm giving people career advice is say, ignore the education requirement. When you're applying for a job, flat out ignore it. If you don't have it, you can't get it in an actionable time frame. It would be absurd of you to say, oh, I'll apply to this entry level job in four years when I finish my expensive degree. That's, that's not a viable way for people to behave. And the truth is that most of the time, you, you don't need that degree for the job you're applying for. Some of these degrees, or some of these jobs that are really uh, managerial or really highly technical in focus, sometimes you're going to need some higher education for that or some more experience. But we're talking about entry-level stock analyst jobs, early-level jobs where people are first getting their foot in the door. Most of these companies, even the ones that are posting these educational requirements, when they start reaching out to recruiters or boutique agencies, when they start trying to fill those gaps that appear, they're eventually reaching out to people who don't have those higher educations because that makes up the primary uh, center of the workforce. So for the employees then, as, as employers hopefully will, will kind of start focusing on what their actual requirements are, what the employee's task is in job hunting or the job hunter's task more than the employee, is to look at the specific job you want to apply to. Um, and I wanna clarify here, I do not mean look at the job field you want. I mean, the job that you would like to apply to at some point, usually in the next three to six months is the time frame you want to work with. Find what skills are on that list that you don't have. Again, not the educational requirements, but the actual skills. What tasks will you perform on a day-to-day -day level? Uh, to give you specific answers where you're asking, you know, what language and things people want to learn. Obviously, I'm a Python fanatic. Uh, as we'll mention a little bit later on, I actually have a new Python course. Um, but I am a firm believer that any scripting language, honestly, is a good place to start. Not because of the language, not because you know you can use Go's really tricky memory controls or you can rely on Python's million libraries or anything like that. For a simpler reason that when you learn a programming language and you learn a scripting language, you learn better to understand how computers function and how the technology that computers are built upon functions. And when you have that understanding, it's a lot easier for you to make sort of logical inferences in the field. And it's a lot easier for you to kind of connect pieces together. If you know the, if you know the, the toolkit that someone used to build a house, you can kind of understand what the structure of the house will probably look like. If they didn't have access to cement to pour for a foundation, you know it's probably not a very stable house. You know what I mean? So when we're looking at security or we're looking at IT, if you have a firm grounding in how these tools are developed and in general sort of how programming works, it's a lot easier for you to find both vulnerabilities and advantages you can take. Uh, one of the things in a lot of the best tools that you'll see on the market, Python as a language is a great example of this. The people who understand it well and spend a lot of time on it, build new libraries and build new modules to add to it. And so you can try and chase those your whole career and it'll be miserable trying to keep up with what they're doing. Or you can learn the skills involved in programming languages and you can understand how technology is developed and you can use that as sort of a general blueprint for approaching this. Um, so yeah, I would say specific technologies, I would always recommend every single person who deals with computers learn a scripting language, not as like an expert, just to understand how programming functions. Beyond that, I would say in terms of technology, I'm a huge fan of pick two or pick three, learn one. So in any given technology category, say Sims, pick three that you can read the basic documentation on and you, kind of, you're, you can have a conversation on. Uh, usually most Sims, most security tools you find are gonna have a one page white paper that describes what the tool is, what it's for and why it's cool. Read that for multiple tools. And then once you've picked the one of those you think is best based on your understanding of them, learn that one in depth. Uh, the reason why you wanna do this is so that you not only have the technical knowledge of whatever specific technical field you're looking at, but also so that you have a grasp of the breadth of that field. 
one of the things that people do all the time is they'll learn a single sing and they'll learn it really, really well. They'll be the best there is at it. But when they go to a new environment, they have learned not how to perform security tasks, but how to use that tool. And it, it leaves them lacking. Um, so those are my specific advice. That's my specific advice on like what to learn and, and why to learn it. But yeah, it, it all really comes down to the most important process or part of the process is establishing clear goals and understanding what your objectives really are. Excellent. Great advice. Uh, so are there any projects or anything that you're kind of working on on the side right now that might be interesting for people? Sure. And, and, and of course, I know one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so, so I mentioned sort of uh, alluded to a Python class that I just made. It's on Udemy. Um, the link and, and the uh, coupon that gives you 40% off will both be included. I think the, the description for this, we can include the link well, in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, so, yeah those will, exactly. Those will both be included in the, in the description for this. Um, the short version is that it's an hour-long Python course. The idea of it is not to become like a genius Python programmer, but instead just to get a sense of how programming works and to be able to write code yourself. Um, I actually have a little bit of code here that I'll, I'll use as a demo of the sort of thing that we'll do here in just a little bit. Um, but the general idea, again, is that I, I learned programming. I learned really most of my technical skills on the job. Uh, I mentioned that companies go to people without degrees to try and you know, fill these spots. And I can say that confidently because I don't have a degree. Um, I, I'm a senior technical instructor for a major cybersecurity consulting firm. And I have made no secret of the fact that I actually never completed my bachelor's degree because I joined the Navy. Um, and it, it's because, again, it's focused on that on-the-job learning. And so this Python course is really about uh, me attempting to replicate that for people. So instead of, you know, getting that, that YouTube video where like you click on it and it's just like bad pop music in the background and somebody just types code without talking, it's, it takes inspiration from the lessons like that that I learned from, but also adds, you know, an actual instructor kind of discussing the code and explaining how it functions and sort of uh, guiding you through the learning process. But yeah, it's an hour of video. Other than that, it's really focused on external resources, um, some exercises that help you kind of figure out how to explore the code. It's, it's a very, Again, practical Python is the name because the goal is to be practical. Beyond that, um, I mean, I, I always have about 50 projects just kind of laying around. Uh, I have an essay series that I have posted. The first one, I think the second one's just about to go live um, about applying the lessons of Sun Tzu's The Art of War to cybersecurity. I, fe I feel the urge to give people a warning. When I describe that, they tend to think I'm talking about like, like an article for like, you know, just an interesting comparison. I'm a huge Sun Tzu nerd. Um, actually, I think I have... My copy laying around here somewhere. I have a, a ridiculously gigantic copy of The Art of War. Um, and it's, it's, I'm a huge Sun Tzu nerd. And when I'm talking about this analysis between the two, um, what I really mean is that The Art of War is a very short book. It's a very terse book. It, it, it kind of makes very specific. It says, if you do this, you win. If you don't, you'll lose. Conversation over. Um, and as I'm, I started looking at that, you know, I, I reread it every year or so. And as I was looking at it again this year, it kind of struck me like, more and more we discover in cybersecurity that the same doctrines that applied to every other discipline actually apply to us as well. Um, you know, I, I joke all the time that like, if you want to get promoted in cybersecurity, wear a suit. If you want to get promoted in somewhere that isn't cybersecurity, also wear a suit. Uh, it, it's our field because it started in an unusual way, kind of has this impression of being an unusual and undefinable field. And, and of course, that's largely nonsense. So yeah, the, the, the other big project I've been working on is sort of helping us to ground cybersecurity in uh, real world and sort of obviously ancient understanding of how um, not just militaries, but all sort of adversarial actions take place. Other than that, you know, it's, it's always something happening. Uh, obviously for Mandiant, I'm, I'm doing a couple of really big public courses here in the next few months. Those are, I say public, those are um, open to anyone who is able to pay a seat. It's not like customer specific training. Like a lot of times we do, 
it is still an enrollment. It's, it's still, you know, a paid, uh, paid course for my company, but we've got that sort of thing going on. And of course, one of the things I'm always most excited about is I'm getting to come talk to folks like you, Ken and I, for those of you who don't, haven't seen those videos somehow, uh, got to have a ton of fun working together on Cyberary and making one of my absolute favorite projects we've ever done, which was the uh, intro to IT and cybersecurity, which is, is consistently the thing that people talk to us or bring up to me at least. Uh, yeah. when they recognize me is like that, that, Oh, you did that course you're with Ken. Yeah. You're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing is, is just kind of my, my life goal is making cybersecurity less scary for people. So all of my projects right now are focused around that. Nice. Nice. Um, so I've heard that you may be a fan of things in Pennsylvania or something. Is that, is that true? Do you like things and do you like cheese philly cheesesteak or anything i i so for for those of you who don't know this little thing i live in philadelphia and i would kill a family member over a good philly cheesesteak there <laughs> the, the philly cheesesteak from philadelphia is unlike any food you will have anywhere else in the world it is made perfectly every time because it's from philly uh more than that though so so uh philadelphia actually really has some amazing programs starting up for cybersecurity education um actually in in my own neighborhood here we have a community center that is focused around providing adults education on IT and cybersecurity and projects like that. Um, and that's sort of something that I wanted to plug just in general. If you are unfamiliar with the National Mutual Aid Network, it is a collection of people who work both in, in technical fields and outside of technical fields coming together for uh, really crisis response to deal with all of the, the traumatic and absurd things that we're dealing with in the world right now. Um, the, the Mutual Aid Network is entirely focused on helping people work together to do that. So uh, I highly recommend you look into those. Philadelphia especially has a bunch of programs like it that I'm, I'm very partial to and matter a lot to me. And of course, the most important thing about Pennsylvania is in fact, yes, we do have the best sandwich. No comparison. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned some code earlier, Joe. Did you have an example yes, you want to kind of show people on? So yeah, I'll go ahead and do a quick share screen here. Um, doo -doo -doo. So I have this code already written up because if you've never tried to type on a stream before, it sounds like a machine gun going off. Um, so so I, I wrote this code ahead of time and I just kind of want to talk through it. One of the things that I'm going to point out here is this is not actually code you would learn directly in the Python class. Um, this code instead is the sort of thing that you would be able to write because you'll have the skills to research this library and you'll have the skills to use it. So what we're actually doing here is dealing with a problem that I run into pretty often. And I, I assume probably a lot of you actually run into pretty commonly as well, which is that it's surprisingly difficult to give someone a file. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm at work and I'm trying to send someone something, we have to go through, you know, it might be through our secure file share, we have to upload it to some Dropbox, we have to try and email it, but our email rules don't allow attachments of it. It's just an absolute pain. Uh, and one of the things that's actually really common, whether or not it's secure or not, is it's generally pretty easy to access your uh, computer from port 80 or port 8080, the HTTP ports. Most workstations, unless they're specifically configured not to, are actually able to, basic, to, to serve a basic web server. Uh, and that's what I've written here in Python. So using two libraries, the HTTP server and the socket server, HTTP server, socket server right there, I imported those two, which if you watch the Python course, the word import will make a lot of sense, but the short version here is I took everything that was in those libraries and I added it to my own code using these two lines as shorthand. That way, if I wanted to reference functions or objects from those libraries, I can really easily do that without having to rebuild them. Here I have a port variable assigned. Port, if you're not familiar with networking on computers, your uh, communication requires two pieces of information at a minimum, requires an IP address and a port. The IP address is the actual address of your computer. The port is the connection point. So in this case, port 8080, one of the two ports generally set aside for HTTP, we are setting as our port. 
Below that, you can see we have this handler variable, which is HTTP server, simple HTTP request handler. What we're doing here, because we're not actually instantiating this object, is really just renaming that to be a little bit more approachable in our next line of code. Um, this is just taking one really big, ugly reference and turning into a simpler one. So HTTP server, simpler, simple HTTP request handler, turns into handler, which we then give as an argument to sock server, socket server, TCP server. And what's gonna come out of that again is just an object. We're not gonna worry about what objects are, we're not gonna worry about classes are, any. that's a whole lot of hard work we don't care about. What we do know is that when we have a socket server object and we have a TCP server object like we just created here, if we want that to be able to serve information to the internet, all we have to do is call it subfunctional or method, HTTP D, serve forever. So what that's actually doing is it's going to take all of the code that we imported, all of the hard work that we ignored because Python is awesome and has libraries, and it's just going to run the commands that we have uh, basically aliased out of it. It's going to say, hey, using all of the code that's in that library that I don't care about, serve these files up on HTTP. We can test to see if this has worked successfully by going to our command prompt and getting into the, the appropriate directory, which I did before this video and then, for and then closed my command prompt out of instincts. Windows system. So here we are, we should be able to just run Python 3 basic server.py. And if it works successfully, we'll be able to tell pretty quickly because it will say start at 8080. Now the way we can actually make use of this, because so far all it appears that I have done is create this Python file uh, and, and run it. And it's all really just printed out this 8080 string. We can't really see any activity yet. And the just one, uh, Joe, one FYI, uh, just on the screen, at least where I see it, we don't see the terminal window. Oh, that's a great, yes, thank you for noting that. I okay. shared, I need to share full window. So that's, if you've never used Zoom share before, <laughs> you have to pick specifically what you want to share. There we go. So now you can see, uh, I have python3 basic server.py started 8080, and now the command prompt should be visible to you. So with that running, again, the question is, how do we actually get access to this? How do we make use of this data? And the easiest way to do that is actually just by going up here, you can see I actually already have localhost 8080. Also for a little two strand narrative, I had a previous Zoom reference that I had in my searches there. So if you pause the video, that's entertaining. Anyway, uh, localhost 8080. And it should, once it gets back its response, it should be able to see those folders. Now I know for a fact this worked in my practice before I did this demo. So it may hang. Uh, one of the things that's worth noting is when you're serving servers from your home system, a lot of times the machine isn't going to know how to get access to them or it's not gonna know how to reference them. Uh, so you may have to play around a little bit. But I tried localhost, now I'm trying 127001. And in fact, we might even make it even more specific by telling it HTTP. Yeah, we'll probably just have to edit this waiting out. It looks like it's hanging. That's Which is fine. Yep. This is real life. This is raw, yeah, real life. Absolutely. <laughs> It's this is the beauty perfect. of code. So it looks like it's hanging. So this is actually a great example for us to do a little bit of debugging. Uh, I mentioned that I actually ran this code in demo or in practice ahead of this demo and it worked then and now we're seeing that it isn't working. One of the issues that you often run into with Python network programming is that your ports that you're selecting aren't able to be uh, controlled. So you might have a different networking tool or a different uh, application running communications on that port. You might have a different connection. There are a lot of ways that could cause it to fail. Fortunately, it's relatively easy for us to test a new theory. For example, we might kill this. There we go. So it's actually worth noting that as we're looking here, we can see we got a bunch of strange errors that we're not really that worried about right now uh, because it's, it's what, we'll, what we'll call this is um, overly verbose error messaging, right? So when we hit control C there actually, and it's funny because I'm going back to do my check there, I don't actually have to rewrite the code to 8081 in fact, because what we're seeing is when I ran that keyboard interrupt, 
it actually killed whatever was hanging and was blocking our port. Uh, so control C, by the way, is actually what I hit there first. That was just to kill the program. And so again, as we're doing debugging, one of the things that you can run into here is a case where the other application that I had running most likely when I killed it last time, I didn't successfully kill it properly and I just left the server running. And so when I tried to start a second one, it hung. Having killed that, again, you can see that successfully this code did run for us. Uh, and in fact, now that the program is completely ended, it should, if my machine has not truly gone insane on me, no longer be visible. Yep, and sure enough, we can see that the site can't be reached anymore, which means that if we rerun our code, Perfect, our site goes back up. So a little bit of live debugging for you there, um, which is, which frankly, again, actually shows up more than once in the videos in the course. Uh, the reason for that pretty simply is that when you're running, when you're creating code, it will not work on the first try. Um, speaking frankly, it usually won't work on the hundredth try. When you're writing programming code, what's gonna happen most of the time is you're gonna have a general idea, you're gonna have a vague idea of how you can implement it. And then along the way, you're gonna try little pieces of that code. So you can see my first instinct with debugging was just to kill that program and change the port to see if that was what was wrong. And in fact, because it was what was wrong, I didn't even have to go so far as changing the port. And that's what we really focus on in the class is, is learning how to deal with these problems in a practical fashion instead of you know, relying on even the code that you pre-wrote before the video to work perfectly every time. It's the ability to kind of take those skills and apply them quickly rather than just, if I had only memorized, for example, if I only memorized the, the contents of that file and the logic that it used in that specific file, we would have been stuck there. We would have had to remake the whole video or at least cut a big chunk out of it. But because of the fact that the skills involved are pretty basic, as long as you can apply them calmly, life was easy. So that's, that's, I mean, that's again, that's not the whole Python course and that specific skill isn't one we even touch on in that course, but the skills that I just described about how you can practically solve these problems and deal with them and do quick debugging are exactly the sort of thing that we focus on. Nice. So any other final advice or final thoughts you have for the audience, Joe? Yeah, I, absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for bringing me on here. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you again. It's a lot of fun to do an interview. It's all of our conversations over the years have sort of been like interviews because we've worked apart from each other. So every conversation is like a data dump. Uh, so this, this feels like a return to form in a little, in a, in a way. Um, more seriously, I think as a parting note, the last piece of advice I would give to all of your watchers or all your listeners is it is very easy to over-focus. It is very easy to say, I want to do X, and that becomes all you think about, all you do, all you care about. In a lot of fields, that can actually lead to success. Monomaniacism is actually not useless for a lot of these people. But when we're talking about cybersecurity, when we're talking about a field that changes overnight constantly, um, and that, that's not a matter of opinion, that's a matter of fact. The tools that we use today didn't exist three years ago. Uh, the, the technologies we rely on today won't exist in five years. It's, it's fundamentally a field that changes. And so if you over-focus and you overemphasize one thing, I'm going to get this cert or I'm going to do this thing, or I'm gonna have this job, you're gonna get tunnel vision. So the piece of advice I would leave you with is keep your eyes open, keep your options open, and be willing to take a plunge on something that doesn't necessarily perfectly fit in your career plan. It's not always gonna be easy, it may not always be fun, but no one, you know, Jonas Salk discovered uh, penicillin by accident. Nice. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm waiting for you to discover something else by accident. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, thanks again for hopping on. Uh, gave a lot of great information for the audience. That was a great demo. 
um, and they showed the real world, right? Yeah, the real world right, is exactly the sprinkly <laughs> lights of co code working yes. every time. It's oh my goodness! Every time I see code work for on the first try in a video, I'm always like, "Yeah, you're lying." Yeah, nice editing. <laughs> nice editing work, guys. Four four thousand takes. Right. Yeah. Like, Look, first time. I'm oh, the greatest it's, coder it's, ever. <laughs> I get it, but yeah, no programming. Pr frankly, programming isn't hard, but it is time consuming. It's something that you're going to spend a lot of time figuring out what little bugs are. Those little bugs usually won't be crazy hard to find. They're going to be a pain. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming Absolutely. on. Absolutely. You're always welcome back, especially, you know, think of the next course you have. We'll bring it back on and sure. we'll do another self-plug. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan, man. Thank you so much for having me. Cool.